0: turn in your bibles to the book of first peter chapter two uh, and i told you three weeks ago that we'd be in this little mini series within first peter for three weeks well that should have been up yes last week well that didn't happen because of covid and ice and all the different stuff they got in our way but we're coming back to it now the last time i was here uh as I was leaving, I preached a hard sermon. It was on the submission to government, and governmental authorities. And as I was leaving, someone shook my hand and said, well, I hope you're packing your bags after that one because you basically offended everyone. Well, what I would have told that person if they were here today is that you'd wait, hold your horses because I'm going to put the nail in that coffin in, about, in these next two weeks because they're going to be even worse. Last time, we talked about submission to the government. This time, we're talking about submission in the workplace. And then next week, Lord willing, unless we're sick again, we're going to be talking about submission, wives to your husband. Um, it's just—it's in this whole realm, and I want to want to put a, the emphasis on this that all of this is for the purpose of evangelism. Peter, as he's writing to these different churches. Tells them to be subject, to live, have a good reputation, to live as honoring to God, to to be submissive, not for their own sake, but so that people will look at them and say, wow, they are different. They're persecuting them. And they're submitting. It's amazing. They're slaves to your masters. We're going to see today. And submit, they're submitting. And it, within our text today, we're going to see a Peter takes a little bit of a break from those three. And he tells us that it's all meant to be, we're all, all meant to su- submit to them because of what Christ has done t- for us. Our submission to all earthly authorities, all earthly realms of authority, is based upon the submission that Christ had while he was on earth. We're going to see three things in our sermon today. First, we're going to see mindful submission. We're going to see that we are both to submit to authority and reject authority under the authority of Christ. Now, I've been talking a lot about submission, but implicit in this text is that there's going to be times when we reject it. Then we're going to look at mimicking submission. We're to mimic and submit the way, the exact way that Christ submitted. And finally, we're going to see missional submission. As we submit, we submit so that people will look in, see that we are different from the flow. We are not the same as the culture. And they're going to look to our, our Lord. They're going to ask us, why on earth do you act this way? Do you do these things? Why do you, do you not submit here but submit there? And they're going to see that it's because of Christ. I've entitled this sermon "Subject for the Lord's Sake, Part Two: Work." So we're gonna be reading in the verses First uh, Peter chapter two, verse eighteen through twenty-five. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you watch over us. You you call us back as we stray. You call us to submission you call us to hope. Father, I pray as your word is preached this morning, that your spirit would fall upon this place. You'll convict us where we need conviction, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and that we would go from here seeking to preach your word with power and authority to all that need to hear. In your precious son's name, I pray. Amen. We see now, I don't know what the, the uh, official uh, rule is for this, but I missed you Sunday, so I get to preach three times as long. Is that right? <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see if you're laughing by the end. Just kidding. Uh, first, first thing we're going to see is mindful submission. Verses 18 to 20. It says, the servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, literally, this is talking about slaves, slavery. But we have to stop for a second and look back at what they were dealing with slavery. Slavery for them was not the same thing that we have in our mind as we deal with slavery. As we think about slavery, we think of American slavery, where it's it's done based on race. It's done based on one person selling of another. That wasn't what was happening back then. It was captives of war. People were born into, into slavery. This was, this was They were able to buy themselves out of slavery. And, for the most part, it wasn't nearly as harsh as it was here in the Americas. So, we have to answer the question right off the bat, does the Bible endorse slavery? And the obvious answer is no. The Bible does not endorse slavery. So then, why doesn't Peter here directly oppose it? Well is because the biblical writers were not concerned with overhauling institutions as much as they were with spreading the gospel. Now that's something we need to remember as we look at government, as we look at our workplace, as we look at everything we're dealing with. The the Bible is concerned with our responsibility being spreading the word of God, spreading the gospel. The gospel is more important than our individual lives. And that, that's a harsh reality, but it just is. The, 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 he says here, su- sub- submit to this to the slave master with all respect. Now, literally, the word there is fear. With all fear, the word foes, we get phobia from it. And the only one we're told to fear is God. So he's not saying fear your master, but he's saying submit to them out of the fear for the Lord. You see that? He says not only to when they're good to you. And gentle, but also when they're unjust, better translations, unreasonable. See, a slave cannot exempt himself from doing what his master says just because the master is a wicked person. It's not a call to obey wicked orders that are, are against their ultimate authority. Now, who is their ultimate authority here? Every single time and twice on Sunday, it's God. Right? God is our ultimate authority. And so if any of these human authorities calls us to, to go against something that this tells us, we reject it, we stand up against it. So what he's telling us, how can we apply this then to us? Our work. This was essentially work. This was their job. Their job as in, it was to do, be obedient. Their job was to be a slave. In our work, we cannot say, I'm gonna reject what you tell me to do just because they may do some wicked things. Your company you may work for may give to Planned Parenthood, may support political opinions you disagree with. That doesn't mean you can just stand up and say, I'm not gonna do it. Why? Because we've chosen to be part of that employment. Now. Where that might change is let's say you're working for Kroger and Kroger gives to some of these different things that we would disagree with, Planned Parenthood and other uh, other things that go counter to the gospel. We have to do what they say. However, if they tell us that we have to to sell the morning after pill, let your own conscience be your guide here, but Jensen would... So would tell them, I need, you need to get someone else to bring this up. I'm going to need to go somewhere else. Why? Because then I'm not only being under that that workforce, but I'm also participating in the wicked deed. Does that make sense? So th- that's where this, this goes. And th- what I want you to see here is that we are to submit to the wicked institution, but not to submit to, submit to the wicked acts. So if you're working and you're working in a business and they say, I want you to fudge these numbers a little bit, sorry, I can't do that. I have to be honest. Why? You're, I pay you, you should submit to me. Yes, but you're, you're telling them to do something that goes against what God has told us to do. God has told us that we cannot tell a lie, and that's exactly what we would be doing. Here's why we're called to submit. Look at verse 19. Four, this is gracious, a gracious thing. In the, uh, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. So why would you su- why would you suffer? Why would you f- uh, get punished if you're working and you're being obedient? There's an implicitness here, implicit reality here that if they're telling you to do something that goes against what he's told us, you're not to submit. Think of Daniel. They said, they said, you need to bow down and worship the king. He said, I can't do that. You cannot pray to any other gods. I'm not going to do that. I'm praying to my God. He said, and he said, no. And he, what happened? He's thrown the lion's den. Right? But God protected him. Now that doesn't mean that just because we just because we uh, go against and we're punished, we're gonna get out of that lion's den. We may be punished. I told you a few weeks ago they just passed a law up in uh, up in Canada. They outlawed what they call conversion therapy. Conversion therapy, as they as they define it, is preaching or teaching against the reality that ho- that homosexuality is something you're born with and is natural and right. And so you can be fined or put in jail for five years if a pastor from a pulpit preaches against that. Well, that same legislation was introduced up in Indiana two weeks ago. It was bought down, brought down, but it was introduced. That's a scary thing. Now, when that time comes in America, if it comes to that, what will we do? Will we stand up and continue to preach what the gospel tells us? Or will we shrink back and say, you know, maybe we've gotten this wrong for 2,000 years not likely. What hap- what, what is, that's not likely. We've done something wrong for 2,000 years. We have, to set, we have to set the standard now. We have to make our minds up now that we are going to submit to this. This is our guiding rule. This is our guide. No matter what the world comes, comes in this world, no matter what comes in this country, we submit to this more than we submit to what we like. More than what we submit to what our earthly institutions, as we've been looking here. Why would they suffer when doing what's right? Because they refuse to do something that's immoral. Now, here's the question. What defines immoral? Our culture would say whatever you don't like doing. That's not what I'm saying. You have to do something that that your employer tells you, even if you don't like it. Unless you quit. You can always quit. Even if you don't like it. Unless it goes against this. We have a standard. The culture doesn't. You can, you can go to the average atheist. I don't believe atheists exist. But you can go to the average atheist and ask them, why do you believe what you believe? Where do you get that this is right and this is wrong? But once you start talking about morals, you're entered into a new realm. We have a standard. This is why we say this is right, and this is why we say this is that is wrong. What they would tell you is, if, honest ones would say it's, it's what the crowd says, what the culture says, what the mob says. But that changes, this fickle, and it's, it's never concrete. We have a concrete rule. And so, the only time we are to, to stand up and not be obedient is because of this. Why? Because it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When mindful of God, when we'll endures endure sorrow. And this is sandwiched here, verse 19 and verse 20. It's a gracious thing, verse 20b, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What's meant by this is when mindful of God, we, we have to submit to him. When mindful of God, we are thinking through everything we do. When mindful of God, we are submitting. There's, there's a really easy way to, to get to do this. And Chelsea was watching, showed me a TikTok video, and I know she's, she's too old for TikTok, but that's okay. Half of y'all don't even know what TikTok is, and that's okay, too. <laughs> TikTok, she was watching a TikTok video, and funny story, just randomly, she was, she, there's a filter on TikTok, and you put it up to you, and it tells you how old you are, and she put it up to her face, and it said, too old for TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she was looking at TikTok, and uh, th- there was this, this cop that came on. and He said, how to, well, I'm going to give you a surefire way every single time how to avoid speeding tickets. And he, he points to uh, a, this sign. He said, you see this sign, this rectangle sign? It's white and black. And it has a number on it. Match your, that number to your speedometer, and you'll never get a speeding ticket. <laughs> well... Then how do we how do we obey these laws? How do we obey our, what they tell us to do? We match it up to this. If it doesn't contradict it, we're obedient. Or you can find a new places to do employment. That's a, always an option too. It wasn't an option for them necessarily, but it is an option for us. Luke 6, 32 35 says this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. be sons of the most high, for he is kind to the ungrateful ungr- and evil. Tom Schreiner said that Jesus in Luke argued that if people bestow love only on their friends, they are no different than unbelievers. What distinguishes believers from others is that their love for enemies and sinners. Similarly, Peter insists that suffering for doing what doing wrong deserves no credit. If you suffer, it's not necessarily because you're not necessarily going to be blessed for it. Because if you're suffering for your own mistakes, that's you, It's on you. But if one suffers for doing what is right, a reward is fitting. We have to stay focused on the promise. We have to stay focused when the government is coming down on us. We have to stay focused when your workplace is coming down on you to to fudge the numbers or to to sell something that is immoral. You have to stay focused on the prize and the one who's given us a standard. A standard is Christ. The standard is the Bible. Peter reemphasizes this. This point: so the, the the slaves who endure unjust suffer because of their relationship with God will be rewarded by God. It's the future inheritance won by Christ. Look at as it continues. Says, but if you do good and suffer for 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 it, you endure. This is gracious, a gracious thing in the sight of God. Why is it gracious? Because we are given that which Christ has. Has one for us. Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Not just persecuted, but persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul Washer, one of my favorite preachers, I cut my teeth on him theologically. And he was he was a missionary for 25 years. Coming back from Peru, and in Peru, he was people hated him there because he was preaching the gospel. He was going to these churches, he was preaching the gospel on the street corners, and people it was saying that that their religion was wrong and that Christ was right. They hated him. He was persecuted every day, spit, he was spit on, his he had stuff written on his house. And he came to America to 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 preach at a conference and he was he was walking down the road. And he was, God, what am I doing wrong? I'm not being persecuted. And right then someone came came down the road and said, Hey, you're that guy on YouTube, aren't you? I hate you. He said, Thank you, God. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We have to be okay with the world hating us. Jesus was. That doesn't mean we go and we try and make them hate us. But we have to be okay if we're doing it for the sake of Christ. I hope that makes sense. But it, but it also identifies us with Christ. We, it's not only for the sake of, of getting a future inheritance, but it's for the sake of identifying with Christ. As we look at the second point, mimicking submission, verse 21 through 23. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. It identifies us with Christ in submission. He is the example for our submission. For all, all those preachers that come around and say, if you just would come to Christ, everything will get better. They, they don't even look at Christ. He's our example. What they do to him? They abused him. They whipped him. In front of the place of water. they nailed him to a truth. And yet he was submissive, even to the point of death. First point two. He committed no sin; neither was deceit found in his mouth. Remember, he's doing what's righteous. First Peter one fourteen to sixteen says this: As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, "You shall be holy," for I am holy. Quoting Christ. So, what's the context? Government terrible government. We're talking, in this day, Nero, who's literally burning Christians alive. He's hunting them down, trying to destroy them. He's he's the same one who who surrounded Jerusalem in 60 AD and killed millions of Jewish people. And he said, submit to them. Honor them. Now he's saying, in this, slaves. We don't have slavery days, praise God. But we do have employers. We have people that we have to submit to. It's, it's a, 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 a worldly authority that we must submit to unless it contradicts this. When, when, when he was reviled, verse 23, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. What did he do as he was being suffered? As he was suffering? Well, let's, let's think about that for just a second. He thought of others. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How easy would it be for us if we're in the midst of suffering to say, God, why are my enemies attacking me? Instead of praying that, I'm going to go to one of the imprecatory songs. Bash their head on the rock, Lord. Right? That's That's what our flesh wants to do sometimes. But he didn't do that. He's our example. Father, forgive them. He encouraged others. He looked to to one of the ones on the cross and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. He accomplished the atonement. He cried out, It is finished. And he did it alone. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, the Father turned away his goodness from Christ and the fullness of his wrath was placed on him even though he was innocent. And finally, he, he trusted the Father. He said, into your hands I commit my spirit. How did Jesus entrust himself to God? He, he, he trusted that everything was going according to the plan that was set forth beforehand. How can we entrust ourselves to God in the midst of suffering Righteously. We trust that God has this under control. We believe Romans eight twenty eight. It says, "All things work together for the good of those who love Him." Right? It, all things, not just the things we like, for the good. I talked about this in Sunday school a little bit, which I encourage more people to come to. But in, in Sunday school, I, I made explicitly, uh, I made explicit that good does not necessarily look good to us sometimes. It looks good to God, and it's good for our good. doesn't mean we like it. So we must entrust ourselves to him when we are submitting to to our earthly authorities, whether it be our jobs, whether it be government. how, How do you react when you're not treated fairly? How do you resemble the humble submission of our Lord? Do you you fly off the handle and say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, I'm done, I, I, I want you to leave me alone. Get away from me. Or do you entrust yourself to God, knowing that he is good, he is right, and he is working things for you. This leads to our final point. Missional submission, verse 24 through 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and to righteousness. But by his wounds you've been healed. Now I, I really tend to stop at 23 this week and just preach that next week because that would have been an oh, odd love to preach that sermon. I probably will for, for the week before Easter or something like that. But he himself bore our sins. Just Don't ever get past this. Just meditate on these this one verse right here. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. We can't get cut off in traffic without being furious at people honking our horn and going crazy. He came, lived the life, suffered as we, as in the flesh. He he suffered uh, under the persecution of the Roman government. And he died on the cross for nothing he did of his own so that you could have life. Praise God for that. Never get past that. If we get past that, then we're getting past the most glorious thing you've ever heard in your life. By his wounds, you have been healed. And by his wounds, you bring the gospel to all those out there that can be healed as well. The sinless Lamb of God, who went 33 years in this earth, surrounded by sin, and never sinning himself, and even hating sin, had sin placed upon him. Why? The big fancy uh, pastor word is substitutionary atonement. All that simply means is that he stood in our place. It's a great exchange. We took his righteousness. He took our sin. He looks at you if you've turned to Christ as if you never said. Or said another way. He's, he, he could never be more happy with you than he is right now. Even knowing the sin you did this morning, even knowing the sin you did while I was preaching, right? Even knowing everything about you, he loves you and accepts you for who you are. Amazing reality. Hebrews 9, verse 12 says this He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of blood of bulls and calves. Praise God, we're not in the Old Testament because I wouldn't want to kill them all, slaughter and spread blood everywhere. Not by the blood of bulls and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. We cannot lose our salvation once we come to Him. If you're truly His, you're His forever. Eternal redemption. How many sins had you committed when Jesus died on the cross? Nothing, right? You weren't a glint in your great-great-great-grandparents' eye. But he, he died so you would be eternally redeemed. Romans three twenty four 24-26 says this, And you are justified by his great grace as a gift though, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood, to rece- be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. What that basically means is that he didn't give David hell. He didn't give Abraham hell, even though they deserved it. David was called a friend of God. Abraham was called the father of, of the great nation. So he passed over these former sins and he's being made righteous because of Christ. It says here, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. That means that because he he placed David's sin on Christ, he would remain just, but he's also the one that justified it. He both, he both w- was given the, of the payment and he was paid. Another way of saying that. Finally, the last verse I'll give you, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It's really easy saying, yeah, yeah, Jensen, we've heard this. Preach this every week. We've heard it over and over. Don't get past it. Because when we get past it, we lose our passion. When we get past it, we lose our zeal. And when we get past it, we forget that what the people out there need from us—they need the word of God, they need the gospel. Because if they have the gospel, they can come to Him and they can have the same redemption. Why do we submit to human authorities? Because Christ did, and left left us as, to do it as an example. He submitted. Our text says, "Because by His wounds you have been healed." By our submission, we can can be a light and an open door to an uh, evangelistic moment. We can show that we care more about God's will than God's law, even than we do our own life. We don't follow God because of what he gives us, but because of who he is. We can tell people that. Final verse, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. These two words are two of the words used for pastor. Two to three words. You have, you have shepherd, you have overseer, and you have bishop. And all three of those words are words for pastor. Jesus is your pastor. We need to get, we need to remember this, 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 uh, ecclesiology. I, I'm a pastor, but I'm the under shepherd to the over shepherd. Jesus is the over shepherd. That means we submit to Him. You only submit to Me as I give you the Word. If I go away from the Word, you mean to throw Me out? You throw any pastor out who does not submit to the Word of God, because if I am not the authority; He is, and we submit to Him in everything we do. Now that we're gonna—that needs to be applied out both with the direct uh, context to your workplace. The context right before it, to the government, and the context right after, next week, in the family. All of these are with Christ as our shepherd. He's the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Peter's purpose in telling these persecuted Christians to submit willingly and suffer when necessary is first and foremost a call to obedience, not primarily to man, but to God. And closely related to that is the evangelistic nature. We submit out of hopes that those we are submitting to will, verse 12, see your good deeds and glorify God. I want you to see that. Application time. got four real quick for you. First, submit to your authority even if you don't like it. We in ourselves, Jensen, Harvey, Doug, Lynn, none of us are our authority for right and wrong. We as Christians, as people of the word of God, have the authority. We must submit to them unless it's wrong. That doesn't mean we have to like it, but we have to submit unless it's wrong too. Refuse to submit when it is wrong. If they're telling you to do something that is goes against the word of God, then you must stand up and take the consequences that's going to happen. There were no less than 10 pastors in Canada that were arrested because they, they were having services during the pandemic. Some of y'all may say, hey, they're foolish. They, they deserve what they get. Whatever. They, that, that, that's not my point here. The point is they, they were convicted that that was what they needed to do, and they stood up and they, they took the punishment for it. They're going to be blessed by God. Because they were uh, were persecuted for righteousness sake. When it's wrong, when when it's immoral, refuse to submit. Third, be willing to take the consequences for refusal to submit. I've known lots of preachers who go in bigger cities and go on street corners and preach. And even people from within the church say, you're a fool, you're an idiot, that's not how you love people. Preaching the gospel is the right way, no matter what. My, my question would be how what if, if that's the wrong way, you tell me how you're doing it and let's try that way. Because that typically convicts 95% of people. Because we have to be out there doing it one way or another. Door to door, as we tried to do this past year with uh, Gospel at Every Home, or preaching on the street corner, or going to your Kroger, like, Brother Terry does all the time, and and meet someone that asking them, "Have you, do you know who Jesus is?" I don't care how you do it; I care that you do it. Amen. Verse and finally the fourth way: remember that we show our submission towards God in our submission towards man. So if you have a, which I do have sometimes, so I'm preaching it myself, probably more than I'm preaching at most of you, but if you have a spirit that is naturally I don't want to say this that is naturally pessimistic against authority then you're all in, in that I and you are showing your pessimism towards God's authority as well. Our authority, our submission toward that we have towards human institutions reflects our authority or our submission to God. And we have to remember that as we go go back. But praise God, he's won our salvation. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a good God that loves us, that your grace is greater than our sin, that you have called us to be free to submit to you. You've called us to be free from sin so that we can live to you. Father, I pray that as, as we come to you, Today. If there's anyone here that needs to repent, I pray that you would lead them to your, their knees, prostrate before you. I pray that they would be guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, let nothing get in their way from submitting to you and repenting where we need to repent. Father, I pray for this time as we respond to this gospel message. I pray that you would call, maybe even someone that doesn't has never submitted to you, to submit to you. Maybe someone that needs to rededicate their life and 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 remember what you are as Lord. I pray that you would do that. Let nothing get in their way today. Father, we love you. To your precious sons and pray.